Listen, at this point, it's been a whole year. If you don't know three black bitches who love true crime, then what is you doing? This is the I Ain't a Killer podcast. Hey friends! Wait, are we recording? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I heard the beat. <laughs> like, it's a very, it's a very special day in the uh, podcast studio. Hey, aka Carter's living room floor. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one on the floor. It's Eliwa's birthday. Woo! Yay me! I'm 32, y'all. Yeah. I'm officially like in my 30s. To you. The black one. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, the 30s. You really in there now. Yeah. Because when you turn, like when you turn 20 and when you turn 30, it's like, oh, you're entering your 20s. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. say you're in your 20s. But like now I'm in my 30s. So. Yeah, <laughs> proudly. I'm grown. These are proud. <laughs> proudly. Mm-hmm. Proudly. Cute. Yeah. So wait, what's your minimum dating age now? Ooh. <laughs> that's one I want to say like 28, 29. That's fine too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's pushing it though. It yeah. is. You have to be impressive. <laughs> yeah, right. So correct all of LA Watch suitors out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are non monogamous. Um, I, I hear applications are still being accepted. Yeah, I'm accepting applications. Yeah. I'm not hiring at the moment, but I will be soon. <laughs> So yeah, most definitely. Send send those send those in. Send those forms in. Period. Don't be Be honest. You know, you like variety. I love that. Yeah, but this kind of crime is wild. Um, okay. So this article is from CNN. Um, it's by Rebecca Rice, or um, it might be Reese. I don't know how to read German last names. I'm so sorry. R I E S S. Um. So it says, Wisconsin man charged in 1992 double homicide after DNA sample from traffic stop tied him to the cor- the crime scene. That is from a 40, wait, no, 30 years, 30 years ago. Yeah. Wow. And I'm, but I'm curious as to why a traffic stop would warrant a DNA sample. Right. Yeah. This is what I need to know. And also, if you know you killed two people out there, why are you doing any type of crime? I wouldn't jaywalk. Right. right. No, don't commit two crimes at once. Yeah. That's it. You gotta pick one crime. Yeah. It's probably like it's been 30 years. I'm all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope. You're never safe. And you know DNA is a thing now, so it's like... Very hey, much. You knew this, but... Let's get into it. A Wisconsin man was arrested and charged in the 1992 killings of two people after his DNA was obtained during a traffic stop last month and matched evidence from the crime scene. Tony Haas, 51, faces two counts of first-degree intentional homicide in connection to the killings of Timothy Mumbrew and Tana Togstad on March 21, 1992 in Wapaka County, Wisconsin. Investigators found numerous print impressions at the crime scene, some of which were left behind the blood, uh, left behind in the blood of the homicide victims. A sample was taken to the Wisconsin State Crime Laboratory in Madison for eventual forensic DNA analysis. Hass um, was approached by investigators at his workplace on August 11th, more than a month after he gave authorities his DNA sample during a traffic stop. Why would you do that? I'm right. so confused. Is that saying like he surrendered it? Yeah, but I'm like, that sounds very illegal. Like, traffic stop letting you swap your mouth? Right, that's what I'm saying. How do they even collect it? Like, you ask for license and registration, not lick this Q-tip. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That is so true. That don't make no sense. Oh, here's this hair sample since you Right. That doesn't make any sense. My tail light was out. I know you didn't ask, but... (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um... So the Wisconsin State Crime Laboratory found his DNA was consistent with the profile previously detected from the bodily fluids recovered from the body of Tostad. Uh, during questioning, has identified a picture of Tostad and said that their fathers had been friends. And then you connected yourself to the... Hold on. <laughs> I'm like, it's like you want to get arrested at this point. I'm just like, and I'm just convinced. Um, so he then told investigators that when he first saw a news report of the death in 1992, he was afraid he was involved and said he had snippets slash blurbs of memories that he attributed to the murders through the years. The, uh, the complaint said Hass was 21 years old at the time. Um, investigators learned that Hass's father was killed in a snowmobile crash when Hass was seven and Toxstad's father was also involved in the crash. And that's how they connected. What? 
Um, I'm confusion. Yeah, I'm very confused because I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Haas told investigators that he was in a drunken stupor the night of March 20th, 1992, and started to think about the accident that killed his father, which led them, which led him to go to talk at home. Uh, according to the complaint, he described getting into a scuffle with Mumbrew, during which he he moved his arm in a stabbing motion towards Mumbrew's chest, and Mumbrew fell to the floor. So I guess this is part of like the the snippets or the blurbs yeah. or the memories that he's having. Um, I said he remembered Toxac yelling "What the fuck!" after he punched her, <laughs> punched right. her in the face, knocking her out, and then stabbed her in the chest, and then started to stir. The complaint says. Um, when he asked, when asked why he didn't tell investigators right away, he said, I didn't want us to sound like I had planned it. Um, so he's being held on a $2 million bond and his preliminary hearing is this following Tuesday. I'm not sure which day that, let me see, this 23rd, the August 23rd is going to be his, um, preliminary, preliminary hearing. Um, I wonder if like the, I forget the names, but. Tagstad, what was it? Togstad. Togstad, like, was the reason why his dad died. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that, like, maybe Togstad's, like, dad was the driver or something. And yeah. And caused his dad to get hurt. Yeah, and he had some type of, like, vendetta. And when he was super drunk, like, that was all he could think about. But didn't it say his dad died when he was seven? Mm-hmm. In, like, a snowmobile accident with this other dad. Yeah. So how old was he when he committed the murder? He was 21. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then also, <laughs> isn't that 14 years? You didn't kill the father. Like you didn't kill your father's friend who was involved or may have caused your dad to get an accident. You killed his daughter. And then that don't make no sense. Who child? And okay. And he said he's so drunk that he just doesn't really remember it. Yeah. And he was afraid that he might've been involved. But so he didn't get caught until 30 years later. Mm-hmm. So you had these snippets of this murder that you think you committed mm-hmm. for 30 years. And then a random traffic stop. They're like, let me solve your mouth. <laughs> and now you're in jail talking about snippets of a memory. Yeah, no. This is the one of the more confusing stories I've ever heard. Most definitely. <laughs> so strange. And you know, it kind of feels like maybe the cops were like, in on it like they like they knew that he might have been involved so they tried to use any excuse to, to get, get him yeah. Yeah. yeah oh because they do do that they're yeah. like if we can't get you for this crime we know you committed or we think you did we're just gonna follow you until you like run a stop sign yeah. i'm curious if like see, so cops aren't allowed to search your vehicle unless you give them permission during traffic stop i wonder if they either had caused to search the vehicle and like found a hair sample or something they mm. used that for dna that could have yeah, been it. No, it. Yeah, it definitely didn't even say which medium he, like, how he gave up his DNA. Because I really need to know how this DNA got into their possession. <laughs> yeah, no. And then I, he just starts talking. Right. Because now you tell everything. Because it says gave. It says he gave his, he gave authorities his DNA sample during the traffic stop. So he didn't even, like, go down to the station and give it. It was, like, at the car. That, at see, the that makes it even weirder. I wonder if he was, like, um, he didn't understand the implications. Like he has some type of like developmental mm, delay or something. Maybe. Or maybe just didn't know his rights. Cause a lot of people don't. Yeah. I remember one time I got locked up and I don't know if I told you the story or not, but there was a girl. Cause you know, I had a little attitude. I wasn't speaking to anybody. I was in a holding cell or whatever, but one of the girls was like telling some other girls why she got arrested and she got pulled over, and the cop directly asked her if she had weed, and she told the cop yes, and, like, pulled it out the glove compartment. I was oh. like, girl, you don't have to do that. <laughs> like, don't ever in your life just voluntarily tell yeah. the cops you have illegal things in your car. They have to have a reason to search your car. Right. I'm but also, she didn't know that. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, what world do people live in? I mean, I know that people are afraid of the cops. I'm terrified of the police. But I feel like, for me, that's more of a freeze. It's not like... Oh, I'm scared of the police. Let me tell them everything. Let me give them everything right yeah. here. I'm just, it's so funny how, you know, everybody has those reactions. Yeah. Because yeah. some people do. Once they get scared, they just start word vomiting. And like, yeah. Or they're like, it might be worse if they find it and I didn't, and I lied about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. That's fair. But, Ooh, so okay. Well, I'm looking for some updates because I'm still very confused about a lot of things. Yeah, no, same. Same. <laughs> that's interesting because he actually did do it. So it's right. like, <laughs> like, this is the easiest case I've ever had. Right. 30 <laughs> years later. Right. That is a lot. And gave it up knowing that he did. Well, 
thinking that he may that have. That means he's that. 51 now. <laughs> I was like, this is so weird. Imagine. Oh my God, imagine. You thought you got away with it, but then boom. Mm. All right, y'all. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. Are you a huge cunt? Us too. Wait, can we even say cunt? Of course. It's empowering these days. Cunt, 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 cunt. I'm Ange Balasone, a.k.a. The Drag Queen, Fat Girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess. And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch. A gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch. While we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy. And cunty. With us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on the big... Cu- oh, wait. I thought we were going to say that together. No. On the big cutie couch. Mwah. Well, yeah. All right, y'all. Okay, we'll be back with um, our main story. All right, we back. <clears throat> the hot just hit my throat again. <laughs> <laughs> Hot chip, right? <laughs> my bad, y'all. Seeing hot chip, we know. <laughs> okay, cool. So, this is the very—I don't want to say very lengthy—but this is the very complicated history of Army Hammer. And if y'all don't know who Army Hammer is, y'all about to find out. It's messy. It's white. <laughs> so that make it even messier. <laughs> um, so, trigger warnings: uh, sexual assault, financial abuse. Uh, drug use and gun gun violence. Um, I want to say there's one other there's one other trigger warning that I had in here, and I think I'm forgetting about it. But I'll I'll say it as soon as I come up on it because I know it's in here and it's obvious. Okay, so for those of you who don't know who Army Hammer is, he was in Call Me by Your Name, which kind of like kind of put him on the map. He was really the Winklevoss twin, the Winklevoss twins in Social <gasps> Social Network. Yeah, I social that was him. Yeah, he played the twins. And for the life of me, I thought that they were actually twins. No, he did yeah. a really good job. Yeah. So he went through like a special training where he, um, with his body double, they went through training so that they could imitate like all the little idiosyncrasies that twins would have mm-hmm. and That's so from being cool. mentally connected over a course of a lifetime. It's really he nice. did a fantastic <clears> job. <throat> yeah, it yeah. was giving the parent trap. Yeah, I thought there was two. I'm gonna watch that movie tonight. I've <laughs> never seen it, but I heard what? it was really good. You need to watch. Well, not one of my faves, but it's definitely something I could watch over and over. Yeah, it's very I've seen good. clips, and I love Andrew Garfield's, like, Monopoly, oh, like, I said Monopoly, uh, monologues from there, and I'm like, yeah. oh, this looks good as fuck. You I need to watch that nigga down. Yeah, no, I need to watch this shit. <laughs> so that's Army Hammer. He was also in Sorry to Bother You, and most recently, the death, mm-hmm. uh, Death on the Nile. So, in 2021, Army Hammer was exposed as having a cannibal fetish. I forget exactly what the the fetish is called but he basically has like an obsession with like eating people insert vomit but before I get to that we gotta talk about the men in his family because going back five generations they are scandalous messy and very abusive so that's what we're gonna talk about first before um, I talk about Army Hammer so it all started on July 5th, 1919, uh, with a man named Julius Hammer. He was a, yeah, this is good. This go back far. Like, it runs in him deep, and he got it honest. Like, oh, um, so July 5th, 1919, uh, Julius Hammer, he's a Russian immigrant. He has a, he's a physician. He has an office in the Bronx. He performs an abortion on a Russian diplomat's wife. Her name is Marie Oganisov. Um, sorry, people um, of Russian heritage, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But oh, Maria Oganisov is her name. Um, so six days later, she dies from her injuries from having the abortion at his office. Um, so his defense tried to argue that she she tried to give herself an abortion before she came to his office. But the prosecution was saying that, like, okay. We talked to the maid. We talked to, you know, everybody at the office or whatever. Everybody said she was fine before she showed up at the office. But then, like, when she left, she was pale. She was very weak. She couldn't walk on her own. Um, and then she reported having, you know, like, blood between her legs and, like, you know, blood on her sanitary napkin when she got home. So, according to her husband, she had been resting before he left for a party. Um, and then when he got back, she was still resting. So, he just thought, like, okay, maybe she slept all day. 
Um, a couple of days after that, she was still kind of down. So he kept calling the doctor and was like, hey, can you get in there and see her again and stuff like that? And the doctor was like, oh, no, it's fine. She probably just has the flu. She probably just got a, like a little cold or whatever. Um, everything's fine. And, you know, while I was while she was here, um, all I did was like a little operation. He kept calling it like a quote unquote little operation or whatever. Um, and that everything was fine. Did the husband know that the wife was having an abortion or no? It doesn't say that, but I'm judging by how they talk about it. I don't think so. Mm. I think that, and it talks about this later too. She has a history of like heart disease. She has a history of like, um, uh, miscarriages and stuff like that. Mm. And so she was basically saying like, I cannot keep this baby. Like I can't keep getting, mm. but and also judging by the culture of like men getting women pregnant and not caring about their reproductive health, I would imagine that like he's a Russian diplomat. They probably got money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gonna keep getting pregnant or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. So she went and and also he didn't accompany her to the clinic. So I'm thinking like maybe she tried to do it like in secret. Um. But that's just my speculation. This is all alleged. I don't know. I don't want no hammer money coming at me with no lawsuit. <laughs> um. So yeah. So before she died, uh, he recommended getting a second opinion. And then um, Julius was like, oh, yeah, just don't tell them I did like the operation or whatever. He was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And so he also suggested that he be the one to write her death certificate. So off rip, like everybody knows there's something going on. Some some, some weird shit going on. Um, So the second doctor said it was something called peritonitis. Um, he said that there was no evidence of the flu and also in her autopsy later on it showed that there was no evidence of like her having the flu or anything like that. Um, so Julius got on, got on the stand at the, the trial or whatever and was like, I didn't want to do the operation. She insisted that she was miserable. She begged me to do it. I just wanted to be with my family. Um, I'm not, it's not funny. The, how is that relevant? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're like, a doctor. Like, I didn't want to do my job. She literally, you could <laughs> right. just say no. Like, you're a medical professional. Right. I just wanted to be with my family. She, <laughs> she blackmailed you? Like, right. She came into your office and begged you, and you could have just been like, yeah, I'm busy. Um, right. I don't know, something. But anyway, um, so he claims that she hit him up and was like, yeah, I tried to give myself an abortion with a crochet needle already. Ooh. And then... He was like, well, you know, the bacteria from your vagina can cause like an infection of your uterus or whatever. And so she was like, okay, well, that just speeds up the urgency. So like now you got to do it because I could, you know, something could really be wrong with me. And that's what he's saying. She said, right. Mm -hmm. That's that's from his point of view. Yeah. And so he's saying like, okay, that sped up the urgencies for a proper abortion. So that's what we, um, that that's what she's going to come in the office. I wonder what an abortion abortion even consisted of in 1919. I don't even want to know. I don't either. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably horrific. Yeah. This is, yeah. Back during the Great Depression? Oh, Lord. It's probably just a spoon and uh, and some hopes and dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Not not a grapefruit. (laughs) Some help. I can't even think. Oh, I'm I'm glad I was born in the 90s. Maybe could have been born in the future, but I'm I'm glad I was born in the 90s. Um, so Julius had ties to like the socialist and communist parties in Russia. He supported like the Bolshevik revolution and stuff like that. Um, and in America, that's a bad thing. So <laughs> I just want to make sure y'all know I don't do the propaganda. Just put that out there. Um, so in America, it's a bad thing to be a communist. So they were surveilling him. They watched her go into his office. And I think at this time it was either illegal or there was just something about it that just like wasn't like kosher or whatever. So they was like watching him, surveilling him and making sure they could gather up enough evidence to um, really get him this time. So that following summer, a criminal prosecutor convinced the jury that Julius um, let her, quote unquote, die like a dog. And that the claims that she had actually died from influenza was attempts for him to cover up his crime. Basically saying from beginning to end, he knew he was doing something wrong. So they they were convinced, and in 1920, um, Julius was commi- um, he was um, sentenced to three and a half years in Sing Sing. I'm, I'm guessing it's like a jail in New York. And yeah. I keep hearing about it in SVU, but I don't yeah, know that's where I hear about it too. But three and a half years. Okay, yeah. what was he charged with? Was it like medical malpractice? Was it? Yeah, he was char- he was charged with medical malpractice okay. and like fraud. Okay. Um, um, I guess I yeah, it wasn't like homicide or yeah, whatever. yeah. No. It wasn't like blatant murder or anything yeah. like that. They were just saying like he basically knew that he was doing something extremely dangerous and he went ahead and did it anyway. Yeah. Okay. 
So according to, so there's a whole bunch of books written about him or whatever. In this one book written by this guy, uh, George Epstein or Epstein, um, in his book, the... Not Jeffrey. (laughs) Different different Epstein. There's too many uh, scandalous famous people in the story. (laughs) Epstein to get us canceled. They gonna be next. (laughs) Damn, that could Um, be a whole podcast. It probably is a whole podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it is. Especially if they did a whole documentary. They could definitely do a whole podcast about Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Epstein. But this is not that Epstein. This is another Epstein. <laughs> and in this book, Dossier, The Secret History of Armand Hammer, he puts, he's saying that Julius didn't perform the abortion at all. It was actually Armand Hammer, who was his son, and basically saying that at the time he was a medical student. And so rather than have his father perform it, he had him do it and then just like assume the blame or whatever. So basically saying he was taken up for his son. Damn. Wow. Like and his son. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Another famous murder. Or um, what's the girl, the young girl that died? Uh, John Benet Ramsey. So, oh, yeah. the God. brother. Everybody else, the brother did it, but they yes. were. Uh, like, I hope we figure out who did that before I die. I feel like it was definitely the brother. They talked about like DNA should be cleared from that scene pretty soon. It was like within hours. It should but, be. The, but the problem was the scene was like trampled through. Like there's yeah. no, they could and explain it away. And came over and started cleaning up right. while the police were still investigating mm. the scene. I don't think, I mean, I hope we figure it out, but I don't think we ever will. Yeah, no. That's like a yeah, no. Because she's been on the news since I was like five, six. Right, literally. Her whole life. I do really, really want to figure it out. Okay. Anyway. Oh yeah. (laughs) So yeah. Um. So according to this, this is like another, I guess, like theory, but it's like strongly believed uh, because of this that you know uh, it was actually Armand Hammer, his son. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is according to Armand's mistress. Her name was Betty Murphy. I'm like snitching ass, like right. Why don't you get paid? <laughs> For real, Armand does sounds like a black ass name. Oh uh, yeah, it does. But I think at this point, because it's like niggas get their names from like French. That's and, like, true. Smith, yeah, I like guess that. it was back so, in the day. Armand. Yeah, Armand. <laughs> yeah, it's very very classy. <laughs> um, so the legal strategy was that Julius did not deny that an abortion had been performed, but it was insisted that it was medically necessary. And so they went through like all these different hoops and stuff like that. So that's why he ended up getting three and a half years instead mm. of like, I guess, being gone, going down for murder because they knew that the abortion had happened. It just, you know, how how it went down it was, mm-hmm. was the actual crime. So Julius was uh, at Sing Sing. He turned over all his um, his ownership of this company called Allied Drug and Chemical to his son Armand. And because of his ties to Russia, he would send oh, Armand like to Russia back and forth um, to be like his stand-in or whatever. And so this ended up um, giving his son like full control basically of the company. And so what he did was he would take money and then like invest it in other stuff. Mm-hmm. And he ended up taking the company to quote unquote new heights, um, reselling equipment, investing in other, um, investing in other businesses. Some of them were illegal. For instance, there was one drink that had, um, it was like a ginger extract. And because it was during the prohibition, it was so high in alcohol that it ended up being like really popular. Mm-hmm. So he ended up making like a million dollars in sales, like just that year. I bet he did. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, Julius dies October 1948, um, but his oil investments were uh, ended up giving him like a big controlling state in Occidental Petroleum. They were instrumental in keeping um, the U.S. on the map, um, basically, because I guess like the U.S. had like some sort of monopoly on oil or whatever, but he had ties to like Libya and all this other stuff. So he had, I guess like he put it on the map that like, okay, yeah, U.S. is producing oil, but like we also have like all these other connects and like controlling oil in other uh, other countries and stuff like that. So um, Hammer ended up supporting like Nixon. He donated the like illegally donated to like the Nixon campaign. He was connected to George H.W. Bush, like Gaddafi, like um, George H.W. Bush pardoned him. Um, because of his illegal contributions, he was about to go to jail. But then George H. was like, "Nah, like go ahead and let that slide." Yeah. So he was a very, very powerful person, and he ends up being like the main patriarch that we ended up talking about later. So in August 1989, um, after the pardon, um, he became close to other associates like Prince Charles, um, and he was known for his wide-ranging grifts, including money laundering, using artwork to fund Soviet espionage. Espionage. <laughs> no, apparently that's really a thing. Like, uh, really expensive art and really mm-hmm. rare art, they use it as, like, ways to channel money through different countries. Wow. And they use it, like, to pay for drugs and, like, 
government sh- illegal shit like mm-hmm. all that they use artwork i guess that explains why art dupes are like such a like high stakes grift yeah because mm-hmm. it's not just about the art it's like yeah it's about other the, underbelly yeah yeah and later on that ends up happening with this family too because they had like you know they had their hand in too many hats and, and it was just like oh we got this art gallery or whatever so they running in like fake art in and out of the gallery or whatever so oh my god that comes later as well the hammers are messy yeah they messy right. as fuck and we ain't even got this is the only second generation we ain't even got down to the third and fourth Ooh. so um involvement in wide-ranging grips using artwork in soviet espionage and bribing his way into the oil business so armand gets married three separate times First in 1927 um, to a Russian actress named Olga Vadimovna, um, the daughter of a czar. Uh, No, the daughter of a czar's general, my bad. Um, He was married to another woman named Angela Zavelli in 1956. And he married, and then after that, he married um, a widow who was really super rich um, named Frances Barrett. And then they remained married up until he died later. Um, so he invested all of his third wife's money into the oil company, which ended up making him like an oil tycoon. Mm. So his wealth shoots up to like the millions, millions back when it was like, I mean, the millions is a lot now, but mm-hmm. like back then it was like, you basically a billionaire. Yeah. yeah. So his second wife, Angela once claimed that it caused him no pain to see the suffering of others. Oh. So this is the first testimony that we have to like the sociopathy of like the hammer men. Yeah. Um, Armand had multiple mistresses, including Martha Kaufman, a mother of two who divorced her husband after meeting him. And he put on the, the oil company called uh, Occident, Occidental, he put her on the payroll as an art consultant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no. She said, she getting the got money. Right. <laughs> what you got? Right. Arthur? Nothing. Not Arthur? <laughs> Nothing. Um, so when his wife got suspicious, um, Armand had her legally change her name to Hillary Gibson. Um, he made her wear wigs, glasses, and makeup and stuff to change her appearance. She did it. This is the mistress. Yeah, this is the mistress. And what? Why <laughs> you say she did it like that? Of course she did. <laughs> and you'll do too for a change. <laughs> I think she was getting hella money. You on payroll at the oil company? It had to be a. Cl- she had to be clearing at least two hundred thousand, which was baby. What color you want me to wear? And then did you have to pay for anything? Because he probably bought all her stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's she's not using money. money on everything. Yeah. That's you know, shopping money. A joke. Like, and I under, and I get it. Um, the affair lasted over a decade with Armand promising to take care of her and her children after he died. He later, he later told the biographer. But uh, she she drove a car with a homing device. He controlled everything she did. She mm-hmm. used a tapped phone. Ooh. And she submitted to his sexual demands even when they were, quote-unquote, extremely humiliated. Ooh. When Armand died, she learned that he left her nothing. <gasps> yeah. Which is, I, I hope she was saving up the checks. Oh, but like he left her completely yeah. out of the will, and she probably lost her job too. Oh yeah, most of them. Now, if I was the widow, I'd be like, "Now, bitch, you're getting off the tip now. <laughs> <laughs> you had it for a decade. I hope you saved up. I hope you got a savings account. Put some CDs away. <laughs> some some CDs. You ain't getting shit else. Hope you diversified your funds. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that fund is up. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of what we know about Armand comes from um Casey Hammer. She wrote this book um called Surviving My Birthright. Y'all, if you have time and if you like to read, please read this book. I will do that. This shit is so <laughs> messy. And I so I pulled the mess about the men, but there's still a lot more. And we're gonna talk about it now. So she said everything he did was public. Um and she's also Army Hammer's auntie, just to you know clarify like the relation. Uh, she's estranged from most of the family now and she says god forbid you do anything wrong in front of his friends you couldn't wear the same dress twice to his gala parties on the outside we had to be the perfect family but behind the scenes uh you know this is where we get into it with um armand's son uh julian so now this we're going into the third generation this is uh casey's father so julian has casey the one who wrote the book um a son named Michael and a daughter-in-law, I'm sorry, and a uh, half-daughter named, uh, I said half-daughter, that's so dumb, <laughs> half-sister of Casey named Jan. Okay, cool. So those are the three players. <laughs> so his daughter, but half she's a half-sibling to yes. the other two. Yes. With a and different. If I'm not mistaken, it's from, um, I guess, Casey's mother from another marriage. 
um, because they list those two as like the only people that he ever considered putting in like his will or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So scratch that half daughter comment, y'all. I'm misspeaking my bad. <laughs> um, so Casey says like she started watching Succession when it came out, and she had to turn it off because that's her family. Damn. <clears throat> um. So Julian is Armand's only child, and this is her father. Um, so it doesn't really say much about like how, how he worked his way up. It just says like, okay, yeah, he went to school. He was an editor at the newspaper when he was in college, things like that. The first thing that you publicly hear about him fucking up is this article. Um, I forget what newspaper it was. I couldn't find uh, it from the actual newspaper. I found it on the website. So in Van Nuys, California on May 11th, uh, it says technical writer jailed in, um, the slang of an old friend because, Julian made a bet with his best friend and it ended up growing to like a $400 bet. And then they ended up arguing over him. So he shot him. Like he just shot him. In the Julian shot his friend over $400? Over $400. And it, I think it was because they was like drunk, but I'm going to read the article. <laughs> what? <laughs> because he was, he was very much like a drinker, like a heavy drinker. So it says, um, the old friend was identified as the son of multimillionaire Armand Hammer of New York City, uh, president of United Distillers of America and uh, Hammer Art Galleries there. The father flew here to stand by his son, Julian Hammer, who was 26 at the time, booked on suspicion of murder. Bruce Whitlock, 28, was slain with two shots from a 45 caliber revolver at Hammer's home early Sunday after a celebration of Hammer's birthday. So I'm assuming they were drunk because they, yeah. of the party is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hammer told police he was shot in self-defense. He said the quarrel started over a 10-year-old gambling bet that was uh, raised to $400. 10-year-old. <laughs> that's why you let that shit go. These are millionaires. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Rich people are messy. <laughs> Y'all got all the... I would say wealthy people are stingy as shit. Yeah. Like, like, truly wealthy people. Yeah, no. And I don't... I don't know how that feels. I've never seen that. Never felt that. So, <laughs> I would like to. <laughs> Uh, he said that the core started over four hundred dollars bet, and the elder hammer, um, you know, came to his side to like defend him or whatever. He gets off scot free. The it's in the, it makes the news and everything, but because their family has so much money, like he just skirts around a lot. Of course. Okay, so according to his daughter, Julius Hammer was a super abusive alcoholic, and so now we get into you know the things that we know about him through her memories. Because again, like he doesn't work. He's like basically taken care of by his dad. His mm-hmm. dad pays his rent, like pays for his house, pays for his lifestyle and everything. Um, he does have that writing background, but it doesn't say that he held any jobs after that. And I'm assuming that after the murder, his dad started to kind of just like keep him close. Yeah. Rather than just like letting him like run off and do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. Right. Cause he knew he would go off and probably kill somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of her earliest memories, um, was hearing her mom and her dad like yelling or whatever so she goes in there to you know go see what what that's about because i think she was like maybe four or five years old at the time and she said it all moved in slow motion like a picture going frame by frame then there was a sharp cracking noise like a tree that was broken in half and so she so what he did, I think he pistol whipped her. That's what it was, oh, and that's what that cracking sound was. And she looked at her mom. Her mom had like blood running on the side of her face, and she said her mom calmed her down by telling her to go back to the room and wait for Santa Claus. Wow! So this started a cycle of them running away in the middle of the night and going to hotels in fear of her father Julian. Um, he used to go to like mental institutions, but then he would break out, and so they never knew when he would break out of the mental institutions. They would just have to guess, like they would have to like study the house and look at how everything is out front. And then that's how they would be able to figure out whether or not he escaped. So that's horrifying. She said on multiple occasions, like when her sister and them would pull up, they would like look at the car and it would be moved like an inch or two. And they'd be like, Oh shit, he's here. And then just like have to like, you know, start off or whatever. Wow. Her mom finally left, but Armand destroyed her in court. Um, this is their grandfather now. Mm-hmm. Um, he made it so that Julius only had, I'm sorry. So Julian only had to pay $200 a month in, in child support. Now, mind you, these are um, multi-millionaires. Um, well, month. Yeah. They said he annihilated her in court. Like he basically I spend $200 on living expenses for myself mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But and, this like, is, and this is back then too. So it's just like, 
But yeah, no, still, it's still not a lot and not at all. And he threatened her. He was like, if you leave my son, like, it's going to be the end of you. Like, I'm going to destroy you and, you know, like, take you down or whatever. And he did. Um, She didn't she didn't have to get anything from uh, child support, nothing, no type of, you know, um, support for the kids or herself. So she ended up leaving and going to Santa Monica and leaving him for good. Um, so this also started a cycle of them, you know, like, I guess trying to win the divorce or like his, her father trying to like win her attention. Um, he would get super drunk and he would just take her on like these super extravagant shopping sprees or whatever. So she this understood. Granddaughter, Cassie. Yeah, this is Casey. Casey. And this is how, this is when she realized that like, oh, okay, cool. So that's how he shows love basically. Mm-hmm. So Spending like, money and stuff. yeah. So just get him drunk and he take me on shopping sprees. Like that'll be like our relationship or whatever. <laughs> He was always super drunk and he always had these weird sex parties and he would always have like really, really young women that he would call his housekeepers and house managers around the house. Um, so at one point when she was visiting her father, she was like, you know, it, I guess it was like one of the weird parties or whatever. Everybody had passed out. Um, she goes and looks um, in this like bag or something. There was like a basket on the couch and sees pictures, like pictures of girls. And she was like, why is this girl eating an ice cream cone? Like, why would you take a picture of a girl eating an ice cream cone like that's weird and she was so young she didn't understand that it was like a picture of a girl giving oral sex <gasps> wow so this is when she first started to realize that like okay sums up with these house managers and these housekeepers and some shit like that because it was one of the girls who had picked her up from the airport the last time she went to go visit her father oh my god so um not not from the airport i'm a bad picked her from her mom's house um so then that triggered a memory in her and she looked at the picture and she was like, wait, my brother made me do this. <gasps> she looked at it and she realized that her brother had done that to her. And deep down, she said, even even then, she realized that her father had done stuff like that to her. But she had forgot, like she pushed the memory down and she didn't see it. And that like seeing those pictures trigger her. Mm-hmm. But she pushed it down because she loved her father. She, she said to this day, like she still loves her father. She still loves her brother. So she pushed those memories down and she didn't say anything. She also didn't realize that like, I mean, she also realized that like, Nobody's going to listen to her if she says anything. Because oh earlier in the book, she like one of the first memories that she talks about in the book is like at the introduction. She talks about a time when she was like four and her brother took her outside and put a bucket over her head and was like, the spiders are going to get you. And he just like kept clanging the bucket or whatever. And so she got real dirty. She was super scared. And she was like, so she felt like spiders were crawling all over her. She's a little kid. Mm-hmm. She comes back in the house and she tries to tell her mom what happened. And her mom's like... Stop making up stories and you oh. you get mud all over the place. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, that's what abusers do. Like they, they test you to see if you'll say something mm-hmm. or to see if they can get away with something first. And then they slide to like, mm-hmm. they escalate later. Or they make you seem like a liar. So when you come to say something else, nobody believes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's exactly what happened to her. And, and that's why I said, like, I recommend that people read the book because there's other moments that she talked about, like non-sexual things that happened. And it was just like, nobody paid attention to her. She was like the invisible kid in the family. Wow. That's awful. So Julian liked to play with guns. He used to make her hold books above her head and then like he would shoot the books. No, no. The police would come and then like everybody in the house would hide and then he'd be like, Oh no, like it's fine. We were just celebrating her birthday. That's what all the noise is coming from. She was um she's just disappointed because she didn't get this thing for her birthday or something like that. Just making her sound like she was spoiled and makes her sound like she was a little kid and she didn't know what she was talking about. Mm. And then the cops would see her be scared, but they wouldn't like question her, you know, separately or anything like that. Right. So then they would go away and then everybody would come out and then they'll go back to partying. So her mom moved to Washington. And she was pissed because, like I said, she still loved her father. Um, and so she begged her mom over and over again, like, please let me, you know, visit, um, you know, please let me visit dad or whatever. So she flew solo. He forgot that she was supposed to come visit him. So she was like 12 years old. She's an unaccompanied minor. Nobody shows up at the airport for hours. And she so finally. She flew from D.C. to L.A.? She flew from Washington. Like, oh, some, somewhere Washington. called, yeah, the state of Washington to L.A. Okay. And then her brother ended up picking her up, the same brother who used to abuse her. Wow. Um, so one of the housekeepers called the house um, while she was there. Like she finally gets to the house, and you know, one of the house managers called. I think her name was Sherry. And the the, the dad's already like kind of drunk or whatever. So he picks up the phone and he was like, "Oh, we finna leave. Like we we finna go get something to eat. I don't know what you finna do." Like and then hung up the phone. 
So they go out to eat, whatever, come back. The house is trashed. Like the house, everything's fucked up. Tables turned over, stuff is busted, like stuff is cut up and stuff like that. And also all of the lights are off. And so they're checking around the house and Sherry is in like this white sheet, like with with eyes. Oh, fuck no. What? (laughs) And she tries to kill Casey. (gasps) Like she, she goes after Casey with a knife. Sherry, and, the house manager? Yeah. Dressed like, as a ghost? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, so she trashed the house while they were gone. She was the one who called and was like, where y'all going? Or like, what's, what's your dad up to? And he picked up the phone and was like, we can leave. So I guess, like, I guess that gave her the model. Okay, they finna leave. Like, I can go ahead and do what I was gonna do, whatever. Breaking the house, trashed everything, and then tried to kill Casey. Casey runs out of the house, like, straight for the door, bolted, and then... But the neighbors were already used to... Like the parties and stuff, like the gunshots and stuff like that. Chaos. So she runs to the neighbor's door, like she's on the porch, like beating down their door or whatever. They let her in. They used to it, and um, the father's still in the house. So the police pull up, and it's like a standoff, basically. So they finally get Sherry out of the house, but she doesn't know if her dad's alive or dead. Like she's just waiting at the house, just like, okay, what's going on? And so while they're trying to get Julian out of the house, Sherry's like tiptoeing like trying to leave or whatever she what was like, going on with sherry right what are you doing to her she, oh my god i'm thinking like cheated dumped her or something i'm thinking like it's just some i don't know what the fuck could have happened for him to for her to try to kill a little kid for her to try to kill a little girl like that shit's fucking weird um so she yells out the window like she's trying to escape like this so that you know they went ahead and picked her up but the father was okay he's still in the house um he finally comes out Okay, so another visit, um, they go to, uh, she, you know, she arrives or whatever. They go to a Mexican restaurant. It's her, her father, her brother, and her brother's girlfriend or whatever. At some point during the, like, conversation while they're just, like, sitting at the bar, they ain't order no food. Everybody's just drinking. So um, at some point, the father says, well, how about you give me a million dollars for your girlfriend? And they get to fight in the restaurant, like, the dad and the brother? Yeah, the dad and the brother. Hustling? Yeah, in the restaurant. Like, real ghetto shit. And so, they, they're they fighting in the restaurant. I mean, they're fighting in the restaurant or whatever. Police pull up. Um, They're like, okay, it's the hammers. Okay, cool. We can't do it. Like, we can't touch it or whatever. They're wow. like, oh, basically, just like, talk this way out of it or whatever. The gag is, the girlfriend um was like, oh, I'm going to go with your dad. I'm just going to check on him. <laughs> oh, girl. She ended up <laughs> living with him for nine months. And then left when she realized he wasn't giving up no money. Wow. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> so, so she looked at her boyfriend. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like whole thing. She was like, oh, I'm going to go check on him or whatever. Ended up living with him for nine months. Wow. Um, she should have robbed him. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, a couple trips took, something. took some Rolexes or some cash, like some cash stacks or something. So the, around this time she comes, as she get older, she starts to recall more about how Michael uh, sexually assaulted her. Michael's the dad, right? Michael is her brother. I um, Julian was the brother. Oh, Julian is her father. Yeah, my bad. It's, okay. I need, to, I need to keep up with, like, saying exactly what the relation is, because, like, now we're down to the fourth and fifth generation. So okay. now it's, like, a lot of, it's so a lot of hammermen. is Armand's son. Mm-hmm. Casey's father. Casey's and father. Casey's yeah. father. Her mm-hmm. brother's name is Michael. Right. Okay. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna keep repeating that as, as we go on because it gets messy. Um. So this is a just a double trigger warning. Um. I'm describing like some of the things that she recalled from her childhood. Um. Living with her uh, brother. So she said at times he would place a pillow over her head, and then he would just keep it there, and um, he would only remove it like right before she would suffocate. Oh no. And this was in addition to the sexual assaults or during. Um, the attacks continue up until her mom left her dad. And like I said, she pressed it down, so she started to recall it like later on. Um so Armand Hammer, her grandfather, dies on December tenth, nineteen ninety. Within hours of him dying, her brother Michael runs through the house robbing them. Like just <laughs> what is his- <laughs> these niggas are messy stable messy what? like his body's still in the house like type shit and so he's running he's running through the house and they're like what the fuck are you doing he was like oh i'm just getting all my grandfather's stuff i'm just making sure we get all my grandfather's stuff and so they made him put it back but they didn't catch a van that drove off so he ended up with a whole van of stuff nobody knows what was in there it's just some stuff that he got away some with collectibles <laughs> yeah. antiques. i'm like he's also like 
and air. Uh, right. So what? What's the point of that? But white folks be fighting over uh, inheritances. Yeah, which, true. Like we, we don't know how our mom's gonna divvy it up. Maybe he ain't fuck with Michael. Like right. That. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Whatever. So. <laughs> Armand's original will stated that his son and his granddaughter, who is uh, Julian and Casey, um, would receive trusts in a Swiss bank account. Um, October 1990, uh, Casey was at the hospital with her grandfather. Um, around this time, they're reconciling their relationship or whatever. Um, so she was really happy about that. And at one point, she stepped out of the room, came back, and there was a man uh, who was a lawyer who introduced himself as Stafford Matthews. This man was like, oh, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to make sure y'all get y'all money. Da, 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 da. And he made um, Armand sign a piece of paper saying that like he would take care of everything, whatever. But come to find out, he was there for another reason. Mm. Gosh. So Stafford was at the reading of the will. And Michael, the brother, Casey's brother, um, is only left a Rolls Royce. That's literally it. Like, no money. <laughs> that's why nothing. he went through the house. And that's no. why he was running through that just like a tomb raider. <laughs> Casey and her father were left $250,000. <gasps> that's it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, and, and those Swiss bank accounts had at least like 1.5 each. Yeah. Like, and- for, for any, her and her any money in a Swiss bank account is illegal. Right. It's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be in the middle. That's some tax free money, right? right there. So it's gonna be a lot of money. Um, so they get to the end of the reading of the will or whatever. Michael isn't even phased, and this is because Michael was named as the executor. So all of everything goes to him to dole out to the family of the lawyer. Um, Michael, not St- the, St- the lawyer to Stafford. Okay, Michael, the one who got the Rolls Royce, ended up inheriting everything. So that he could dole it out to the family. And he literally didn't give them shit. Like, he gives, he takes everybody shit. So Casey is pissed the fuck off. She goes to staff and she's like, where's my trust fund? And he was like, what trust fund? So that type shit. So, yeah, Michael takes everything. So and this is Stafford and Michael in cahoots? Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. And Michael, like, this whole fortune is worth, like, all together, like, $180 million. This is like, oh! God. This is control of the company. This is like the Rolls Royce. These are the houses. This is the money. They didn't need shit. to go running through the house for snatching us up. <laughs> just well, shit. this is before he found out. So <laughs> that's true. I guess he had to make sure everything happened. Yeah. But that was his insurance. What's wrong with my mic? Oh. Hello. Hello. Okay. There you go. Yeah, I'm tripping. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the change happened in October 1990. Hold on. I just want to touch my mic. The change happened in nineteen, in October nineteen ninety. So I don't. Maybe he knew, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm thinking of like they were in cahoots, and that happened in October. Then why would you run through the house? I feel like maybe he was like, "Oh, this belongs to me now. I'm taking it. I'm taking it to my house. I'm gonna have it assessed." Da, 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 da. Maybe it didn't even seem like that dramatic to him. The family was like, "Why are you taking shit? This right. don't belong to you." But he like, knows it is now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That sounds about right. So this, um, so this whole thing makes Julian spiral. He was arguing with Michael about the Rolls Royce, but then like Casey was like, "Why are you arguing about this car? You about to be homeless? <laughs> Please, you need to get it together." <laughs> so she makes a deal with like the CEO of the oil company to keep her on the payroll so that she can have a job and make much money or whatever, which was like, which was like a good ass deal. Um, so Julian's mental state gets worse and worse, like very quickly. Um, he, he was threatening suicide all the time. So Casey starts to sit with her father, like all the time she moves in with him. She gives up her career to make sure that he's okay and stuff like that. One day she comes in the house and he's just like, Oh, um, you and your cats get the fuck out. Like, I know y'all are aliens and y'all trying to like <laughs> hurt what? me and shit like that. You and your cats can get the fuck out. And she was like, no, like, I'm trying to help you. Da, 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 da. Um, mind you she had already like tried she's like tried been trying to get him into rehab and like all this stuff um he shoots at her she hears the bullet like whiz past her like face like he's very close to shooting her he pointed it at her chest and he pulled the trigger she still like in the book she was like i thought i got shot like i thought i was shot because he was because he was so close i don't understand like how i wasn't hit or whatever so she went and got her cats and she got out (laughs) me and my cats are gone no same wow um she was at the hotel she was just like bawling she said she honestly like had to convince herself that it was real um so a few days later she had called the house just to see what was up and everybody was acting like they didn't know like why she left 
And it's like, well, why did you leave the house or whatever? And she, so she goes back because like the cycle of violence is so normal. She was like, okay, cool, yeah. I might as well just go back. So she she gets him into rehab or whatever. Um, everything seems normal for a while, and then of course, like that's the cool down period or whatever. He comes back in the house and he's like, I know you're alien. Like I know you're trying to like abduct me. I know you're trying to like kill me. Da, 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 da. And um, I was so bad for him except for the fact that he's a literal pedophile. Yeah, no, for real. Um, so at this point, and I think that's how it is with people who are like that, mm-hmm. like people who do like who combine abuse with drugs and stuff like that, they start to deteriorate and they lose their grip on reality. Yeah, because you've been living outside of reality all that time, like so right. now it's like you're getting older and it's hard. Um, so yeah, so she um, at this point she's decided to stay in the house to you know help take care of her father to keep him from committing suicide or whatever. Um, one day she gets a call that he just died like she so his wife at the time who was another one of his like house managers when she was younger um she describes it as like he just went to sleep and died or whatever but casey suspects that gene his wife did something Mm. so gene keeps everything once again she's cheated out of like literally any money any paintings any clothing anything gene doesn't give her anything she had to beg her for like a bust of her grandfather and then she was like uh, i think she wanted that and like a painting Mm -hmm. and then she was like no you got to choose between the the two yeah like bitch is extra trifling wow so yeah so that's enough um of so that's the end of julian's story from her point of view and then this goes on to michael so her brother goes on to have army hammer and and victor hammer so that's Army Hammer's dad. Yeah, so that's Army Hammer. and he's already sexually abused his sister. Woo! Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, a string of other women that yeah, it had to be somebody. It had to be somebody else, especially because they went to the same college in San Diego. And she describes how complicated their relationship was and how toxic it was. But for you to be at a college with thirty something thousand people, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um. So when Army Hammer is seven years old, his dad flees to the Cayman Islands to avoid taxes. <laughs> so, people hate taxes. I mean, I feel like all of us do, but rich but it's like you love have to millions pay. to cover your millions of dollars in taxes. Right. I don't have thousands to cover my thousand dollars. Right, taxes. right. The IRS been hitting me up. That's what I'm saying. Four hundred dollars. <laughs> I ain't got it. <laughs> Y'all gonna have to get it back in subscription style payments. Ten ninety nine a month. Right. <laughs> I don't have it. Um. So, yeah, so Army Hammer grows up in the Cayman Islands for about five years, and then they ended up moving back to L.A. So people people who work for Michael, I mean, they run a name out, as they fucking should. Um, so for years, three people claimed that Michael boasted about having a a sex throne or a quote-unquote naughty chair, as uh, and that's what he called it at the uh, Armand Hammer uh, Foundation headquarters. Um the structure was about seven feet high, features a chair with a hole in the seat, a cage underneath, and a hook. What? Yeah. The hammer coat of arms, the same one that for years was uh, on the outside of the, the headquarters, is painted on the, uh, is painted on the seat. Um, in one photo, Michael sits atop the throne, uh, grinning and holding the head of a blonde woman, sitting in the cage and also smiling. In response to Vanity Fair's questions about Michael's sex throne, drug and alcohol abuse, finances, and history of women, um, Claire, the counsel for the Michael Hammer and the Armand Hammer Foundation, said, and, and quote, these questions which ask about unsolicited gag gifts and sent by friends conduct that sounds, I mean, it, it conduct that sounds pretty typical of recently divorced people. Um, and, and these are entirely completely, like, uh, it's it's a complete fraud like it's just it's completely made up and that's all the way down to michael hammer hammer's history and then we'll talk about army hammer next okay, so. so they're saying that this throne with a cage was a gag gift that yes. divorced people get yeah i know plenty of divorced people <laughs> and they don't have a fucking <laughs> sex throne i mean i wish i had a sex throne but, but this representative is also i think all of this they're saying it's absurd. They're not saying it's untrue. Right? Yeah. They're saying, oh, this is unaccounted for. Like, you you can't prove this. And so, oh, I feel like it no. happened. Oh, no. Army Hammer didn't have a chance. Yeah. And so, this is all alleged. I feel like I'm going to be on the blinds. <laughs> Everything I just said was alleged. <laughs> um, 
And so, yeah, we'll definitely talk about the salacious scandal that's happening with Army Hammer next. Wow. Jesus fuck. I thought he was just like a one-off fucking weirdo, but <laughs> it truly runs in his blood. He was destined. <laughs> destined to be a fucking creep. Absolutely. And the way she wrote that book, I mean, she does a good job of like, like the details and just like the timeline and stuff like that. And how the men in her family and even the, and the women in her family as well. I left them out because we're talking about the nigga. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, if y'all are interested in reading, um, it's on Kindle. If you have like a Kindle subscription, it's free. Or if you have like an Amazon Prime subscri- subscription, it's free. But the, the actual Kindle uh, version or like the paperback version is not that expensive at all. I think it's like at most like $14 or something like that. Mm. It's so good. I'm, so, so I'm good. definitely going to read that. Yeah, no, definitely. Wow. And that is the story of Army Hammers, the men in Army Hammers' family. So, whoo. Y'all got to wait till part two. Yeah. We get to listen to it right now. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all next week. Yeah. Um, do we have a, ooh. Should this be a crime? Yeah. Do we? Let me check. Um, I found a potential. Okay. Y'all just got a little uh, BTS. We'll be back with the Should This Be a Crime. <laughs> okay. Should this be a crime? <laughs> <laughs> I love it every time. Um, so for our Should This Be a Crime this week, we have a New York Post article that was written on August 16th of this year. And the title is Moon Landing Conspiracy Theorists Say This Photo Is New Hoax Proof. So before we get into it, what are y'all's thoughts? I wanted to talk about this too. So I'll wait <laughs> Do you want to wait till the article or do you want to say them now? I think we should say it. I, I want to say it now. Hold on. Okay. What is, what's? I don't. I I feel like I don't know enough about this. But Frank Ocean said it, it's not real. Please. So if we know that's your man. That's what I mean. <laughs> so I don't think it's real because like didn't they have like a picture of the Earth in the background or something? No, they had a picture of like the moon in the background or something. I don't know a whole lot about it. Oh, I, I, it was something. I don't know. And they were like. I don't know. I feel I about it the way I feel about most things. Yeah. Which is that I don't discount anything. Yeah. I believe it's wholly possible that it happened. I also believe it's wholly possible that it did not happen. I also know how the Mer- that the U.S. likes to lie. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It, because there was a space race going on, and they just wanted to be first. Yeah. I think was it China who beat us to have like the first. Uh, space object in orbit of the planet or something like that. There were a lot of things Yeah, it's happening. like China or India. Yeah, so there are a lot of things happening. We have lost several things already, and I know that the U.S. just really, really, really wanted to be the first ones to put feet on the moon. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't put it past the niggas at all to lie about it. I really don't. So my thing is, what happened? What did the U.S. do first ever? Like, what I did a lot of stuff. Like, a lot of inventions, at least. I don't know about like international accomplishments. Because mm-hmm. that's my, like, at this point, I'm just like, well, since when are we ever the greatest other than the Olympics? And that's because of niggas. Greatest. So, <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think I'm on the same page as you, Carter. Like, I could, if somebody told me that we didn't do it, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. completely believe that shit. I mean, I'm going to be honest. This is something I've also just kind of struggled with. Places don't really be existing in my mind until I physically go there, which is, I think, also why I'm really bad at geography. Because I'm like, I haven't been there. That's not real. Like, you know what I mean? No, I yeah, don't think fair. that the Dakotas are real. I don't think. Yeah. I've never met anybody from there. Yeah, right. never been. So it's like, if somebody told me tomorrow that literally the moon wasn't even real at all, like, and nobody's been there, I'd be like, all right. <laughs> So it's just a light that's on all the time. Okay. Have y'all seen that Cute. filter they have on TikTok? Oh, okay. Where you can like face it towards the sky. Oh, and it, it looks, looks like, like the cosmos are in your fucking yeah. like front yard. That's probably what they're doing for us. Please. In the simulation. <gasps> I'm having an existential crisis. They need to simulate some fucking money. I don't give a fuck. Simulate some peace and joy. If none of this shit is real, why am I not on a beach? That's what I'm saying. Why am I not to work? Why are we working? That doesn't make Turn the sun down a little bit. <laughs> right. Also that. It's hot as fuck outside. <laughs> Except for every single time I want to go to the pool. Y'all, this has been killing me. It has been 
hotter than Satan's gooch. It's been hot as hell. Every single time I have tried to go to the pool, it has been like a smooth like 76. Yeah, today's gloomy. It's gonna rain. Like every how? How every time I want to go to the pool? It's personal. It's it's, it's, it's personal. Mm -hmm. That that happens when I want to go for a run. It's like as soon as I step outside, I start feeling droplets. And I'm like, bitch, you wasn't doing this the entire time I was in the house. It was a blaze yesterday. (laughs) Not a blaze. I saw a tree spontaneously combust. (laughs) I don't want to take a run or get in the pool. Like, nah, bitch, you thought it. But yeah, no. Okay. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah, the if the moon was fake too. Yeah. yeah. The whole moon. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's the article. Was the giant leap for mankind really just a giant lie? <laughs> Is this New York Post? Yes. I love them. I, love them. <laughs> you gotta be. I gotta keep track of the writers too, because they be oh. funny. Um, conspiracy theorists think so. The theory that the Apollo eleven moon landing was a hoax by the US government lives on, despite video and photo evidence of Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong planting the country's flag in space. While conspiracy theorists believe it would have been cheaper and easier to fake the landing than to really achieve it. There have been six manned moon landings, which took place from 1969 to 1972. Despite theories circulating about the first landing being fabricated, the others have not been exempt from disbelievers. In fact, the same theorists believe they spotted an odd figure in the visor of one of the astronauts in a clip of the 1972 Apollo 17 mission. There's a picture. We'll put it on Instagram. Yeah, I'm curious. Um... Marking the last manned trip to the moon, the astronauts on board, Commander Gene Cernan, Lunar Module Pilot Harrison Jack Schmidt, and Command Module Pilot Ronald Evans were the final people to touch down. In a video titled, Reflection in the Visor, where's the reflection of the camera taking the photo? Oh, shit. That's a good question. That is a good question. User Street Cap 1 claims the shot was evidence of illegitimacy as he narrates his findings in the clip, which was posted in 2017. This is why I can't do conspiracy theories, because it's actually... I don't think I'm gullible. I think I'm just a little too, not open-minded even. I just, once the questions start getting asked, I keep asking them too. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you can probably convince me at least to question anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the problem with conspiracy theories is that a lot of them are based on something that actually happened and then they start piling on the bullshit. Yeah. So yeah, it is very easy to be like, well, damn. Because, you know, like, for instance, with the whole 9-11 thing, like, the government did lie. Like, the government yeah, did that's, that's, yeah. that's all they do is lie. So it's just like, it's not that hard to just tack on, like, more bullshit on top True. of that. And then it's just like, okay, at one point, do you stop believing? Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Um, the YouTuber claims a reflection in the visor of one of the astronauts shows this, quote, unquote, stage hand. And allegedly, the person is not wearing a spacesuit, furthering claims of fabrication. What? You can see some sort of, it looks like a man back in the early 70s, long hair, wearing some sort of waistcoat type thing, and a shadow of that figure, presumably, the narrator claimed, using his mouse to outline the figure as he talks. Where's this guy's spacesuit, he continued later in the clip, which has been viewed more than 2.8 million times. But not everyone in the comments was convinced of the YouTuber's supposed discovery. The curvature of the astronaut's visor causes a fisheye lens effect. Just Google fisheye lens pics, and you'll see how distorted they are. When you look at the shadow, you can clearly see the boxy shape of his life support system, argued one user in the comments. To me, it clearly looks like another astronaut with a white, bulky spacesuit. You can see that he has both arms slightly stretched forward, and the shadow shows the bulkiness of the spacesuit, including a life support on his back, another commented. I've always thought it was a hoax since we didn't go back in modern times, claimed someone else. Non-believers of the Apollo missions claim the U.S. government fabricated each intergalactic journey in order to beat the rest of the world to the moon and win the quote-unquote space race. Despite being widely debunked, many theorists continue, continue to perpetuate even the wildest of claims. Some saying the flag was rippling in the wind, but NASA created a special flag in space since there would be no wind to keep the flag upright, which would have made an unflattering photo. Meanwhile, others ground their disbelief in the fact that stars aren't visible or that shadows don't seem to align with light sources. And that is the article. Mm. See that in post questions, and now I'm like, damn. Right. And we haven't gone back in modern, modern times. Yeah. Like, why not? Jeff Bezos or whoever is going right. up and down. Y'all was going to the stratosphere, go to the moon. Right. That is fair. You went once and never went back. That one with a Starbucks up there? Like, <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, damn, that does make me think now. <laughs> but I also, but then I turn around and I think if they did fake it, there were had to be a good amount of people involved in like making that possible. And yeah. not, there's no possible way that that big of a group of people would keep that secret. Well, I am of the mind that the U.S. has hella, 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 hella shit we don't know. Yeah. And that means a lot of people know a lot of things and have kept their mouths shut. It's true. Probably under the threat of literal death. So that is true. I mean, we have full organizations who are undercover right now in every country in the world. Yeah. Like they literally pulled off assassinations of communist leaders in other countries trying to um they like live in full regular ass lives just to, just to be able to spy organizations Not sleeper cells ah! that's what i'm saying like, so i just yeah i i can definitely believe that people like could keep that secret but also though it, it, and this is what makes it so hard because you're also very aware that like america's so fucking incompetent when it comes to shit there's a starbucks cup in like a Game of Thrones episode or something. Please. I love that. Yeah, you know, right. shit like that. So it's just like, like that plane in The Walking Dead. How could yeah. they possibly pull that off when y'all y'all are the same niggas who are doing this? You know, this is, well, I don't know. But yeah. I don't know. It don't be the same niggas, though. That's the thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's like, I also think that, like, if you really get down the, the rabbit hole of conspiracy theory, of course I gotta let some shit, like, slip some shit gotta be messy so we'd be like oh yeah you know blah 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 we think we know something Mm -hmm. but then there's like this really really big shit like that was just the smoke screen yeah right 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 yeah so it's like the fiscal budget we in the debt trillions of dollars meanwhile these niggas can teleport or some shit yeah like (laughs) like how they had gps technology before even anybody even knew what it was right you know we were using that question yeah (laughs) (laughs) i gotta memorize my way to the party if i make a wrong turn i'm screwed (laughs) don't reroute on a printed out piece of paper meanwhile y'all sharing locations with each other (laughs) dropping pins and shit no the new, this this new age people they, they don't know printing out directions they don't know nothing about that that was right. a struggle I kind of miss it sometimes Damn. it wasn't simpler days if you if you were driving by yourself that was tough was <laughs> to have to look and then our parents are like y'all don't know shit about maps like actual maps actually the phone. Like, oh and that and that's where I draw the line <laughs> I do not I'm like I, send I me to will not go <laughs> send me to another generation because I can't do this but yeah. Let us know what y'all think about yeah. this space stuff. Is the moon real? <laughs> is it all a filter? Is it I'm simply a Negro trying to make it. Is it a satellite? Like a a big space station so they can spy on everybody? Oh Are the birds in there? Is that where the birds come from? That's my nephew my nephew told me that. He was like, you know birds aren't real, right? I was like, see, and that's why you're not getting a snack. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that that. Back in the, <laughs> right. wow. the birds aren't real? I'm thinking, like, oh, yeah. I mean, Black Panther, I mean, not Black Panther, Black Mirror, what are you doing? <laughs> no, that's no, I love him. Black Mirror. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like people have imaginations, but all stories are rooted somewhere. True. So all of these ideas that they come up for, for uh, Black Mirror episodes. Yes, technology that's around the bend. Yeah. They started making them police dogs immediately after the episode came out. I was like, oh, Ooh, I hated it then and I hate it now. It's not y'all giving them the design, like right. the blueprint. Shared the template. Uh, <laughs> they just need to come up with that game uh, teleport. <laughs> no, not playtest. God. That's <laughs> the scariest ever. I'm talking about the video game, the fighting game. Oh, Striking Vipers? Yes. yes. I'm trying to get some international thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get that pander piece. <laughs> That's what I'm kissing, bro. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway, you can find us online at <laughs> I and Podcast on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram, and I and Kill a Pot on Twitter. I think that was right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to us on Apple Music. You can listen to us on Spotify. Literally anywhere where you can find podcasts. Yeah, and come back next week for part two. Make sure you wish LOL happy birthday. That too. Well, yeah. That made you feel so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.